why is it that we don't all stay in the bliss of non-egoic, non-volitional functioning? Why do we come out of that state when it's so peaceful, so free, so liberating, so stress-free? And why do we come back into suffering? Nobody goes back into suffering. That's great. Does anyone go back into suffering and ego? You do? Why? Question after I think about when I feel in a really um, peaceful state. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in that, that position of what happens. Like there's a just a slight little deterioration or, or like one thought that arises and, and immediately there's a, an identification with it. What and kind then, of thought? And then it begins to snowball. Um, it always has to do with lack. It always is pointing towards my lack. Mm -hmm. Yes. <clears throat> and you buy into that. Yes. Okay. I think this is a very good answer. Because every ego structure is, of course, lacking true being. So there is no ego that doesn't feel lack. But you can take that as a sign of your own inadequacy and therefore get back onto the gerbil trail wheel and find that it's a hopeless task to try to get rid of that lack because it isn't real in the first place. Or you can take it as the sign that the ego isn't real because what it is lacking is being and therefore it can't be you. It can only be an illusion, an image in the mind that has no reality, which is what it is. And so when that thought comes up, if you can choose to laugh at the absurdity of believing you're an ego that lacks existence, which is a self-defeating proposition, because how can you be something that isn't? You can turn that thought into the humorous perpetuation of bliss rather than the loss of bliss. So you can all predict way in advance that a thought will come up of lack or a feeling of anxiety or a sense of being an imposter or whatever, right? It comes up in different ways. Inadequacy, insecurity, fear of loss of some attachment figure fear of not knowing enough, not being good enough, right? There are many different permutations of how the lack thought arises and what style it has for your particular ego. But it's always the signature illusion and the signature of illusion. 
because what the thought is actually saying to you, if you interpret it correctly, like you would a dream, is that you are obviously not this. And the thought that comes up can actually then be a protection against the loss of liberation. And then you'll start inviting those thoughts. Wow, the more they come, the better. They're like mantras. And if we just recognize that that is really what the thought is saying, and that what you can only be is the observing consciousness that cannot be identified with a thought that comes and goes, because you don't come and go. You are immutable. You are changeless. So whatever is caught up in change and in flux lacks being, because it's only there for a second and it's gone, just like those thoughts. But if you buy into it and you entertain it, well, then it's not going to be gone so fast. Then you're going to give it a big, long lifespan and uh, create a whole spider's web of thoughts connected to it that will gradually have the power to bring you down. And you become your own spider that stings you into suffering again. But if you don't fall into the web of illusion and don't let the spider spin that thread, thread out into a narrative, but act as a reminder that there is no remainder of belief in the ego, then the I thought becomes once more in the state of remembrance of its true nature. And that true nature is emptiness. So you see, lack is a stepped down feeling of emptiness labeled with a negative sign. But it was mistakenly labeled with the minus sign. You're not minus anything because it is the emptiness that enables you to contain everything. No emptiness, then you're not all. You're just some little particle. So the emptiness should be given a positive sign. And once you recognize that, that emptiness is liberation from the illusion of being a particle rather than the container of all that is, that is one with all that is, because all that is simply arises as modifications of consciousness, of the illusion of change within changelessness. Therefore, you are free. You are free of the illusion of existence. So when we talk about Advaita, it's very important. You know, Advaita, when you translate it, is always translated as non-duality. It's not translated as monism. It's not translated as uh, unity, even. 
a more accurate translation of the word ah, dvaita, dvaita, the word dva, we get the word to from, it's a direct derivation from the Sanskrit. It means not to, but what it, how you, we should actually translate it is not really to, okay? Because the paradox, and everything is paradox, the paradox is that you only know non-duality in duality and as duality. If there was actually only non-duality, there wouldn't be any consciousness of the real truth of non-duality because you wouldn't be able to think about it. So the non-duality had to create the illusion of duality in order to create the consciousness of the non-duality so it could then return to the non-duality, but now in a state that is trans-conscious rather than pre-conscious. So this is how God evolves through the creation of the illusion, the realization that it is illusion, and that the illusion itself of there being a split is really only the only way that God can look in the mirror and say, ooh, beautiful, <laughs> and then return to a non-egoic form of bliss. So the duality is only the reminder of non-duality. It's not some loss of non-duality, it's the reminder again on a cosmic scale of the same thing that that thought of anxiety or lack creates at the egoic level, at the macro level. This is what's going on. And this is why the Buddhist formula that samsara is nirvana is accurate. The form is emptiness. The emptiness is form. Because you cannot have form unless there's an emptiness containing the form and being aware of the form, right? And you're only aware of emptiness because there's a temporary situation of consciousness in form, saying, oh, I miss my emptiness. <laughs> and that's the illusion, because there's no one missing anything. But that need to have the illusion that you're missing something, and what you're missing is simply the lack of lack, enables you to rediscover it at a higher level of consciousness. And so the whole universe evolves itself that way through this ping-pong game that it plays with itself. This is the Leela. Shiva serves Shakti, slams it back. Shiva misses and has to walk all the way back. <laughs> Shakti's much better at the game than Shiva. Because Shiva doesn't have a form. He can't even hold the paddle. <laughs> but it's all just for joy. So whenever you feel you got pinged, just remember you're the pong, and that it, it takes both sides to create the real. And you are both sides. And so this apparent rupture in God, right? I mean, you could uh, define this as a kind of a schizophrenia in God's mind. Uh, is actually its own healing. 
and enables the manifestation of beauty and the appreciation of beauty that would not happen if there were just gods sitting in the godhead of non-form and non-existence uh, before the creation of the world, right? As it says in the uh, Torah, the world was tohu vavohu, unformed and empty. It wasn't much fun. So it had to be created in those incredible seven days into this paradise that then the ego loses, only in order, however, to rediscover the key of how to turn it back. Now that we're about to turn the world again into something tohu vavohu, thanks for, uh, to our uh, high technology for emptying out the world of all life in very short order, a few more than seven days, although if they really want to, they can do it all in one afternoon, so we'll see. But the point is that whatever happens uh, can turn into its opposite very easily because Shiva, although he is formless, because he has the capacity of emanating Shakti and she can do everything, uh, the world will be reestablished in its beauty. There's no need to worry about that. It's only the creature who hasn't a clue as to how the world got created in the first place that is worried about all this and thinks there must be something wrong. You know, Shiva's not worried. And Shakti is always just looking forward to having more things to do because she's a workaholic. <laughs> but she enjoys herself. It's all Leela. And so really there is nothing that anyone needs to do except to realize that there are no doers, except for Shakti, you know, she does everything. Uh, all of us are simply manifestations of that in the form realm and manifestations of Shiva as the consciousness. But if you let Shakti do it all, and you stay as Shiva, life is much easier. If you want to be Shakti, you can do that, all right? But then you have to be in the Bhakti state. Shakti needs Bhakti in order to surrender to Shiva again, to get the approval that good girl Shakti, you did it again. You know, nice universe this time. And, and so she's responsible for the quantum waves, just like the waves of the ocean. You know, one universe after another, after another, after another. Oh, that one's really beautiful. Very nice, very nice. And Shiva just watches the whole thing. This is the, the great mythology. You know, Brahma opens his eyes, there's the universe, closes his eyes, it disappears, opens his eyes, another. So all of this happens over and over again. And that's the most recent theory, you know, that there isn't just one big bang, there's a big bang and then it crunches and then it goes out again and it's a ping pong game, again. And uh, not only that, but there's many different parallel universes playing other sorts of games. Some are even playing chess. But they're all just joy. That's the only reason for them existing. And one day you'll travel through all of them. Maybe you already have. It's the last stop because this is the stop just before the return to Shiva. But you can only return to Shiva when you know that that is really who you are and always have been. 
and there is no longer any trace of the sense of lack. What's the opposite of lack? Perfection. And that perfection is the fullness of the infinity of the energy of God. And simply by refusing to identify with the ego, your perfection will be realized. You don't need to flagellate the ego and tell it what a bad little child it is. You don't need to uh, say a thousand Hail Marys every day. You don't need to constantly struggle. You know, that's what that illusion will want to do. That's how it will want to turn everything uh, into some reason for feeling bad about itself. Because that's what egos do, right? You can't blame the ego for it. That's its role. If it didn't feel bad about its present, it wouldn't try to create a better future. And it had to be structured in a way to want to create a better future in order to bring us into Kali Yuga into the worst hell realm possible. So all of that was a necessary part of this beautiful play. And with the dissolving of the ego through the realization again, the unconcealment of the supreme reality, uh, the ego loses its function in the psychic economy of the universe and of God's mind. And Satyuga can re-manifest again, the dawn of a new age that is completely free of egos. That's all we had to remove from the world were egos. We didn't have to remove anything else. And we don't really need to remove egos since they didn't exist anyway. But they had to create a mark. And the mark is, of course, creating lack in the actual physical world to try to prove the existence of their own form of illusion. And now having made a thorough mess of things, even the most atheistic egos are starting to pray and wanting to return to some, some form of intelligence that can help us get out of this mess. I mean, mega mess of nuclear reactors melting down in almost every country in the world and uh, wars that have a momentum of their own and can't be stopped and global meltdowns and climate change. And the whole thing is totally out of control. And if you don't think that they're uh, pulling their hair out in Washington and Moscow and London and Paris and Bonn and Berlin and wherever they happen to be, pretending they're governing something, uh, then you don't understand the kind of anxiety that is going on at those levels of the world right now. And so a little sanity and a little bit of divine energy coming from some points of light of communities that have transcended that illusion will actually have a large impact on the world in a relatively short amount of time. 
as the power centers uh, lose their power and the lights go off there and the light of spirit begins to shine more visibly in those areas where consciousness has raised to a transegoic level. And so may this be one of those places of light. And we'll see if that's what Shakti wants, that's what's gonna happen. She's the boss around here. Okay, that's all I have to say. Who has a question? Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.